Uh, tell the person on your right, God still gives revelation. And tell the person on your left, I want to receive that revelation. Amen. This is what we're going to talk about today. Today we're going to talk about revelation, the wonder of God, and worship. And so we want to open up in the book of Psalms. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 33. It's going to launch us to where we're going today. Psalm 33, it's going to be on the screen as well, verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Now, now this fear the Lord is a reverence. It's a respect. It's, it's recognizing that God is God and I am not. And there should be a healthy tremble in your soul if you get the fact that there is a God out there and that you're not him. It should cause us to tremble a little bit. It should cause us to want to draw near to him, not be pushed away from him. And so it says, let the earth fear the Lord, revere, respect him. Let all the inhabitants of the Lord stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. I want us to rally around this one middle part. It says, let the, all the inhabitants of the Lord stand in awe of him. That, that word awe is like wonder. It's, it's like amazement. It's like I, I've received something new and now I've received that. And so now I stand in, in uh, amazement of God and who he is and, and what he's done. And so today I, I want us to consider wonder. When is the last time you ever were filled with wonder like a little child? When is the last time you were amazed or that something took your breath away and you stood there in awe of a God who spoke the world into existence? When's the last time that you watched an airplane that weighs 750,000 pounds take off from land and fly in the air like a feather and you looked at it and said, wow, that is amazing. I am filled with wonder the fact that that thing can fly and there's people in it and it's just floating in the air. Have you ever been filled with wonder? Or when's the last time you stood with your feet in the sand and you looked out over a beautiful beach or Galveston and you were like... <laughs> Wow, I am so small compared to the creation that I'm overlooking. It's overwhelming. When's the last time were you filled with wonder? Or when's the last time you walked downtown Houston and you stood at the base, the foundation of the J.P. Morgan Chase building that's 75 stories tall, and you looked up at it and you were in awe and wonder and amazement of the engineering, of the architecture of the physics and of the God-designed laws of wind there, but to sway back and forth in the wind. When's the last time you were ever filled with wonder? When's the last time you were filled with wonder like a child when you contemplated the God who the scriptures just told us spoke the world into existence? The God that Colossians 1.17 says holds everything together. So he not only created everything, not everything was, everything was for him, by him, and through him. It also is held together by him. When's the last time you were filled with wonder that that God sees you as the object of his affection? That he takes joy in you as his creation? That he longs for you not only to know him, but if you would allow him to know you. When's the last time? You were filled with wonder, filled with amazement, filled with awe over the God that we celebrate today. When is the last time? Because what I'm fearful of is that many of us, we couldn't tell you the last time that we were ever filled with wonder. And what I know is that when my wonder of God, my awe of God, when it is limited, then my view of God is limited. 
And when my view of God is limited, my faith begins to shrink. And when my faith begins to shrink, I begin to get in this pattern of living a comfortable life. I begin to pray prayers that don't require God to be God. It actually just requires me to go and live my life. We get to a place where we have no faith at all. And when we operate with no faith at all, we know the scriptures say that we cannot please God apart from faith. And I think the piece of that is that we fail to wonder at God and his revelation to us. And it impacts us. And it ultimately impacts the way we worship. And this is where I want us to go today is to say, man, what would it look like if we just had a better grasp of who God is today? Just a little bit. We can't get to the end of God today. Derek doesn't know everything about God. Praise his name. I'll spend eternity learning about him in heaven year after year, thousands of years. I'll get to know more and more God. So today we're just scratching the surface. But what if you allowed yourself to scratch the surface today? That you left here a little bit more amazed about this God that we worship than you came in here. That's my hope today. That's my prayer for this congregation, that we would be a little bit more childlike in the way that we see God and the way that we receive from God. About a month ago, I was uh, due to officiate a wedding in, uh, in downtown Houston, and uh, I was really excited. I got to know the, f- the couple pretty well, loved them. It was going to be a big wedding, about 400 people, the biggest wedding I had ever done, and I was excited. And uh, the day came, and about three hours, two and a half hours before the wedding, you know, I did what any real pastor is going to do. I-, I got a quick workout in. Like, why would you not get a quick workout in? And so I went to my garage, because that's where I get my workouts in, and I popped the DVD in, and I'm, you know, doing my thing. And it's Houston sweat in my garage, and so it's just nasty in there. Like, you would not want to see that. It's just nasty. And so uh, I get to the final three minutes of my workout, and uh, the last three minutes it was a burnout session. And anybody ever done a workout where you just burn out the last? Uh, somebody raise their hand and tell me you're with me. Uh, and so the last three minutes, I'm, like, pumping hard. And so I'm going from a uh, plank position where I'm in a, in a plank and, a, and then I had formed around me. And so when I went from my forearms to my hands and pushed the weight down, my shoulder went like this. And immediately I knew what happened. Because before my last play in football that I ever played in college, I dislocated my shoulder. So I was well acquainted with what that felt like. And so as soon as I did that push up, that most unathletic move I've ever had in my life, uh, it was so embarrassing. It went like that. Uh, I realized that my shoulder was now three inches lower than it should have been. And so I get up and I begin to swing my arm around trying to get it to pop back in place. <laughs> because in my head, I've got two and a half hours to not only get dressed and everything, but I also have to get downtown Houston to officiate a wedding. And so I, I tried in vain and nothing happened. It was still three inches lower. And so I go inside. And I get my wife, and her face turns white really quick because she realizes that something's really wrong, and she sees my shoulder hanging down, and I can't do anything. And the pain hasn't really sat in yet, but it's more like shock. And so I'm saying, hey, babe, we've got to do something about this. And so she does what any other millennial is going to do. She goes to Google, and she says, how do you reset a dislocated shoulder? <laughs> and praise God for Google because Google was like, this is how you do it with a diagram and words. And so she lays me down, and I've got my, 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 this dirty sock in my mouth because I'm like, Ugh. And she starts doing her thing, and she gets there, and I just scream out in pain. I said, this is not going to work. It's done. Uncle, I'm out. Like, we can't do this. Take me to the ER. And so my mother-in-law was in town. So we get to the, in the van, and she's taking the ER. I'm texting the staff, hey, guys, pray for me. Uh, and Ernest, by the way, like, you might be doing a wedding tonight. Like, I might have to call you in for the bullpen to come in and close this one out. And so just be prepared, just in case. 
And so I, I get to the facility. Now, this was a standalone uh, emergency care. And so I don't know if you've ever been to an emergency unit that's a standalone. It's not a hospital. Like, there's no lines at this. Like, I roll in there, and there's, like, fish swimming in an aquarium. Like, this music, like, music is beautiful. There's no line, nobody in the waiting room. So I walk straight up. She sees I'm in pain. She's like, oh, my goodness. And then she opens the door and takes me right back. Now, what I realized at the time was that was phenomenal. If you have a problem, go to the standalone. What I need, you need to know, though, is that those standalone, there's a cost involved with that that's really, really high. No idea at the time. I would just, like, get it quick, quickly fixed. I'll pay it from the back end. Unfortunately, it was a little bit more than I had expected. But anyhow, I go into the room, and they sit me there, and they're like, hey, we can do x-rays. We can give you some medicine. I'm like, no, I can't take medicine. I can't be loopy because I got to do this wedding, and I'm a pastor, so I don't have money for uh, x-rays, and so can you just do it the old school way? And she was like, she kind of laughed. She's like, yeah, we can do that. (laughs) And so she lays me back in this table, and there's two nurses on my side, and she said, if you can just relax. I'm like, woman, do you see what's going on? Like, I cannot relax. She says, if you can just relax, it'll go in. So it's really on you if this is going to work or not. And so I closed my eyes, and I began to recite Psalm 23. And what I realized midway through what she was doing is I was actually uh, rubbing the belly of the nurse while it was going on. And so, so I'm rubbing, praying, Psalm 23. And hope, you know, I just didn't open my eyes. I didn't even know if it was the man or the woman. Like, I didn't care, like... And so she is rotating my arm, and she gets here, and she's like, it's almost there. And she puts her finger here, and pop. And then she sets it down. She's like, it's over. I said, that's it? Like, that didn't hurt at all. Like, you just, like, that was the best. It's happened a couple times before. Like, you just totally, like, you're from God. Like, I told her, like, I I I want to give you a kiss after this is all said and done. Now, now, just a little telling her that she had 37 years of experience, but she missed that part. She thought she was a 37-year-old, and how many of you know there's a little difference when I'm kissing my mom or kissing a girl that's about my age? And so my wife was like, whoa, 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 wait, 37? No, I said, 37 years of experience in ER, like, it's okay. And just for the record, I did not give her a kiss. I just told her that I would. Anyhow, so she goes there, and she goes off and does her paperwork, which I guess is what costs so much money. And then the, the, two, the two nurses are there, a male and a female, and they're saying, man, this happened so fast. Like, they're joking around, saying, we didn't even get your name. And so, you know, I looked at them. I said, what if I'm an angel? And they were like, hey, isn't there something actually really good for us if we entertain angels? And I said, yeah, there is, so you better treat me right. And I was joking and laughing. And then uh, I said, no, my name's Derek. And so he went and got my, my arm sleeve, and he comes back, and he said, um, in Easter 2003, uh, he was sleeping at night, and he told me that an angel came and visited him at, while he was sleeping and uh, had him write down a few phrases. And I was like, man, that's amazing. And he said, do you want to see it? And I said, yeah. So he takes his cell phone as I'm sitting there, and he hands me the cell phone, and I begin to read Uh, just this amazing, very biblical uh, words that he said this angel had given him. And I said, man, God loves you a whole lot, man. Like, if you do this, like, you are going to live an amazing life. And he's like, yeah, no question. So he takes the phone back from me, and he's like, I listen to sermons all the time, and I take notes while I'm driving. I said, man, if you do that, like, you might actually end up in the ER, so you probably shouldn't do that. But he, he turned and said, this is the last sermon I took, and he handed me his phone again, and it was all about the blood of Jesus and the cross and how there's no condemnation in Christ. 
And it was just evident that this man had been amazingly impacted by this encounter with this angel and his life proved it. And I said, man, I looked at him in the eyes. I said, man, God loves you so much. He enjoys you. He loves you so much. It's so good. And so anyhow, we wrapped up in there and I got home as fast as I could. My wife had to help me get dressed, obviously. Um, I told the doctor that I wasn't gonna wear my sleeve. I said, I can't lie to you, I'm a pastor, but I'm not gonna wear the sleeve because I don't wanna flip out the, the bride that's gonna be doing the wedding, I'm doing the wedding for. And so I get downtown, I don't tell them. I do the entire ceremony by the grace of God. They have no idea whatsoever. Uh, get through with the ceremony. Uh, you are now married and do that. And then we went to the reception, which was right in the same place. And so they seat me with a table of family and friends, primarily from Minnesota. And, uh, and what I found is Minnesota people are really kind, uh, really nice. But I also, what was neat is all of them were huge Buckeye fans. You guys knew it. And so we talked Ohio State football and we talked about the good old days of Woody Hayes and Eddie George. And it was amazing. So we had that little love fest going, and then he got up and came over, and he said, hey, God speaks in amazing ways, doesn't he? And I just met this guy, and he said, I said, yes, sir. And he said, you'd probably think I'm a little weird if I shared a little bit with you. And I said, probably not. My wife and I have had some pretty incredible encounters with the Lord, so whatever you say is probably not going to make me blush or make me question you. And he said, okay, let me tell you. And so he begins to sit down at this reception and walk me through all these seasons of his life where he was really seeking God and looking for God for answers. And in those times where he was crying out to God, praying, Lord, will you reveal yourself to you? What do you want from us plates? Some of you are like, wow, that's not in the Bible. What he said, though, as, as he was speaking and praying, the Lord would use strategically, like, you can't just chalk up the chance license plates, not just once or twice, but like six times. He used these license plates to give him insight, to give him encouragement, to allow him to know what his next step was. And so some of us in this room, we would struggle with that. Like, does that fit into our theology of what God can do? Does it fit into your theology that God may meet you in a dream in the middle of the night with an angel? I don't know about these guys. I can't speak to the fruit of their life. What I do know from talking to them, these two men, they had these encounters with God. This revelation was given to them. And what I know about them is they love Jesus more and they worship him more fully because of their encounter. And so I said, man, maybe that was God. Even if it doesn't fit into how the way we think God works, maybe, and I believe it actually was, the hand of God in their life. And so today my hope is that we would just allow the box that we placed God in as if he could be put in a box. If we could just open that box just a little bit, that would be a victory today. Just a little bit of, van- man, of God, I wonder, awe, oh, like I want to be filled with that. If we could just do that a little bit today, that's my heart and that's my goal. And so today we're going to talk about revelation. We're going to talk about um, response to that. And we're going to talk about worship. And so the first thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down is that God is more interested in giving revelation than we are in receiving revelation. God is more interested to give you, and this is not a corporate, although it is corporate word, this is specifically to you. God is more interested in giving you specific revelation than you are in receiving it, and so don't be offended by that. That's what we see throughout the scriptures. We see God in many ways and to many different people reveal himself like in a fire, a cloud, a burning bush, through angels, through the Bible, through prophets, through stars, through nature, through visions, through dreams, through circumstance, through miracles, signs, and wonders, through earthquakes and other natural occurrences, and most clearly in the God-man, Jesus, 
It was the exact representation of God, the exact revelation of God. Every time we see Jesus, we see the Father. So what I see is God is more interested in giving revelation than we are in receiving revelation. And it, he will do whatever it takes. He will even use a donkey, Balaam's donkey, to get a point. He used a natural donkey to speak real words to a man who needed a revelation from God at that very specific time. So if God can use a donkey, I'm guessing he can use an angel, and I'm guessing he could use license plates if he wanted to. God is more interested in giving than we are in receiving. And I want us to look at a passage in Luke. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. And I think we're going to see this and asking God that he would just speak some revelation, that we would receive it today with humility. So Luke chapter 5 is, is this amazing story where Jesus is teaching in this house and he's teaching a bunch of Pharisees and teachers of the law. And there is a group of men who are trying to get their friend to Jesus because he, their friend is a, a paralyzed, a paraplegic. And so the, the crowds are so great they can't get Jesus to the man. And so these friends, uh, they were not going to take no for an answer, which I think is good for our younger generations. Like we pray once and expect it done. These guys, if they just would have tried once and done, this man would have been died paralyzed. But they said, no, we believe that Jesus can touch this man. And so they get up on the roof and they cut a piece of the roof out and they lower their friend down in front of Jesus. And Jesus sees their faith and he speaks it out. And he says to the man, your sins are forgiven, which ruffles the feathers of the Pharisees. And then we get to verse uh, 24, the second half of it. And this is Jesus after he says this. He says to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up that, uh, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe. The New Living Translation says awe and wonder, saying we have seen extraordinary things today. Now we can learn a lot from just this little passage, but I want us to make sure that we see that Jesus is revealing the Father in everything he does. And so when he's teaching the Pharisees, he's revealing the Father. He's giving revelation. When he heals a man, he's giving revelation. When he casts out a demon, he's giving revelation. When he raises some from the dead, he's giving revelation. Remember, God is more interested in giving revelation than receiving revelation. But we see the Pharisees, they're not interested in receiving revelation from Jesus. They actually begin to question him. And they choose not to align with him. And so we see this dynamic. We see the Pharisees, they reject the revelation. But then we see the friends and the paralytic, they receive with gladness the revelation of God. And it says that, that they actually received Jesus as being the teacher, not only the teacher, but the healer. And so they come to him and they are given the revelation of love and power and that God is able to heal. And that's his intention. What I think we learn about this revelation is that the purpose of God giving revelation is worship because worship is ultimate, not revelation. Let me say that again. The purpose in God ever giving you revelation every time is in order that you would be a person of greater worship. It's not the revelations, not the end game. The worship is the end game. And we see this in this text of these men and women. They see the power of God upon Jesus to heal. I believe that's the Holy Spirit is upon Jesus. Jesus heals in the power of the Spirit. This man is now walking, praising God. So all the crowd has a revelation of God's power. And what's it say they do? They are filled with wonder and awe. Their minds just exploded. Their, uh, their vocabulary of God just expanded. And in that, it says they began to worship. They began to praise God. They begin 
But I think what we learn here is that worship is directly tied to our wonder and awe. The degree at which we worship is directly tied to the degree at which we are receiving revelation from God. And so if I've got a very little perspective of this God who spoke the world into existence, if I've got this little perspective and little revelation, then it's going to give me a very limited awe and wonder of who he is. And out of that awe and wonder, that very little peace, it's going to be very, very limited worship. But the opposite is true as well. If I allow God to speak and I receive and I see him and my, my, un, my awe and wonder continues to grow, then what's going to happen is I'm going to be a man or a woman of extravagant worship because worship is tied to the degree that we wonder in awe of God. And we see these people, man, they encounter God and they turn with awe and they begin to worship him. And I think as believers, we should take this seriously because if we want to be people who worship God in spirit and truth, then we need to be people who are in wonder and awe of God and we need to receive whatever revelation he's giving us. We've got to be wide open to whatever God is speaking. We just got to say, God, what you're speaking, I want it. What you're revealing, like, I want that. And what I found is that the scriptures are the primary mode that which God in our generation and our time in history gives revelation. And not only is this the primary means that God gives revelation, it's also the filter that every other revelation has to go through. And not only that, it's also the accountability that we have when we said, I feel like God has shown me this or he has that, that the scriptures are the accountability. They are the filter where we have to line up. Now, listen, I was raised, though, that this uh, is the only way that God speaks, that if it doesn't have a book, a chapter and a verse, it was not from God. But over the last seven years, um, my theology's had to change a little bit because I started to encounter the God who has revealed himself through the scriptures in ways that I can't just say, hey, here's a verse for that. And so let me just make this clear. I believe God speaks through this, but I also believe that God gives revelation in many different ways that may not be in here, but listen, it always aligns with this. So, uh, so, so the, the license plate, like there's no license plates in here. Like there's no uh, cars driving around. Even though the, the uh, disciples were always in one accord, they probably drove a Honda. Like they, uh, there was no cars. And, uh, and so, so, but would that be, that revelation through the license plate, does it align with how God speaks? Because when God speaks, what we see is the love of that person grows for God and their worship increases. And so for that license plate, dude, like those two were true. And so I believe that he aligned here with scripture. And many, many times over the last seven years, I could tell you stories and stories. My wife and I could sit here. But one story I'll just share with you. Uh, My wife and I, we were driving from a church event home in Ohio. And it was about a 30-minute drive on a two-lane highway. And during this uh, drive, my wife had just really really been struggling with doubt. Um, she has dealt with doubt on and off for, for most of her adult life, where there's some days where she is on top of the mountain crying out to God, like, you are holy, you are good. And then there's other seasons in her life where she's like, God, I don't think you're good. I don't see you here. I don't understand you. Is this book even from you? Like, I don't get it. There's been seasons in my wife's life. And so, so let me just speak life into some of you that are dealing with doubt. Your doubt does not scare God. Your doubt does not intimidate God. Your doubt does not preclude you from knowing God. 
And my wife would actually tell you that it's actually been a, a hidden blessing in her life, her doubt, because in the midst of her doubt, she's forced herself to go and seek out God. And what's the scripture in Matthew say? Those who seek will find. And so let me encourage you that are doubting. You keep on seeking and you'll find. You keep on knocking and the door will be answered. That's the God we serve. And so this is my wife. She's struggling with some doubt. We're in the car. And uh, as most of you men know, like as you're trying to have a heavy conversation driving on a two-lane road, like you're trying to focus and you're also trying to make some eye contact and acknowledge what your wife is saying. And so I'm driving down the road acknowledging this. At the same time, there's a radio on in my car. And uh, my wife is just listing off these doubts, like this specific doubt and this specific doubt and this specific doubt. And I said, hey, baby, uh, hold on one second. Now, it's got to be from God to interrupt a woman when she's tearing her heart. And so... She looks at me like, what are you doing? Like, what, why did you just cut me off? I said, listen to what's on the radio. I think it's important. And so you know, she and I put our attention on the radio and the song that was being played. And the song that was being played on the radio as we listened began to speak into each one of her doubts. Doubt number one, speak into it. Doubt number two, speak into it. Down the list. And each doubt that was spoken into, our mouths just keeps getting farther and farther down. And we're sitting there looking at each other like, is this for real? Like, what in the world, like, what has happened? And, uh, you know, it was Christian radio, and they only play like 10 or 15 songs on Christian radio. And so, like, you would think, like, I would know that song, but I had never heard that song before. And my wife's faith was stirred up. And are there still doubts there sometimes? No question. But I can tell you out of that experience, we began to worship God more fully. And I went home and I got on the internet and I said, man, I want to know what the song is. I would like to download it on my, my uh, phone. And so I look it up and I look at the songs that were played on that radio station at this block of time that we were driving. And every one of the songs that was listed on the playlist was songs that I knew. You see, that song... Never was there to begin with. Now, now let me just be clear. My, my wife and I, we are sinners and we're jacked up like every one of you are jacked up. But we weren't on medication and we were not high on drugs. <laughs> just to make sure we were on My wife and I, we were, we were aware. We had stopped the conversation and directed our attention at the radio. And we heard the Lord speaking to us, whether it was him on the DJ that night or was when the words were coming out, uh, it changed somehow. And we heard, we both heard heard the Lord speak into her doubt. Now, does that fit your God? Does that fit into your theology? Is it possible that God still speaks in ways that we don't understand or we can't fathom or that we, that we can't figure out? Is it possible? Because I'm telling you, my wife and I have had occasion upon occasion where that has happened. And when it does, it stirs our faith, it stirs our affection for God, and it makes us want to worship him more fully. And so the question that we always have to ask, though, we feel like this is from God. There's three things. Number one, is it forbidden in Scripture? If I say, man, I've got a word from God, and it is not aligned with Scripture, guess what? It is not from God. He's not schizophrenic. He doesn't have two multiple personalities. He doesn't lie to himself. If it says, thou shalt not do something in the Scripture, and you tell me, hey, God told me to go do this, I'm going to tell you, that's not from God. That's from Satan. So first question I've got to ask if I have a revelation from God is, does it align with Scripture? Not in the Scriptures, but does it align with Scripture? Number two, I've got to say, does it stir my affections, my love for God more fully? And then the third thing I've got to ask is, does it lead me to worship him, to build my awe and wonder of who he is in a way that I can worship him more fully? Many of us, though, are sitting here today, and you say, Derek, that's, that's good for you. 
I've heard these stories before, but I've never experienced that. And you're a pastor, and so maybe there's some special uh, 1-800 number that pastors have to God that I don't get. Let me just tell you, that's, that's not true. It says that all of us, by the blood of Christ, can come with um, confidence into his throne room. Every single one of us. And let me tell you, when I had that specific encounter, I wasn't a vocational pastor. I was just a man with my wife driving down the road as we were seeking God. But, but for many of us, we sit here and say today, man, I haven't had those experiences. And so I think there are some legitimate things that hinder us from receiving revelation from God. Because I believe that God is speaking to every single one. And I believe even in this room, God has given you some revelation today about who he is and about what he wants for your life. But there are some things that we can enter into that actually hinder our ability to receive. The, some of that is unforgiveness, bitterness, distraction, all these. But the two I want to hit on today, number one is this, that we can limit our reception, Limit our reception. When we tell God and we demand from him, God, you've got to speak this way or I'm not going to hear you. Or God, what you tell me has to align with my current understanding of you. If we have this approach to God, then we're going to have a very hindered experience of hearing revelation from him. And this was the issue with the Pharisees. Man, we see this in Luke chapter 5, that Jesus shows up, the exact imprint of God, the revelation of God shows up, and they are so preoccupied by thinking they know what God is going to look like when he gets there. They have this vision of what it's going to look like, what's going to happen, and, and they are looking for that. And so when God actually shows up, they miss him because they had already preconceived God's got to look this way. He's got to come in this package. If he doesn't, then it's not going to be him. And so I, I think some of us, we... We limit our ability to receive because we try to dictate to God, God, you got to speak on my terms. And if you're going to give me a word that I don't really want to hear, I don't want to hear it. And so some of us live a life where we never really hear God. We never engage with God. And, and what we see here in the Pharisees is that they already thought they knew everything. Therefore, revelation was never even possible. Because if you already think you have what you need, you're never going to receive. Let me say that again. You can't receive what you think you already have. See, this was the issues with the Pharisees. Look in your Bible at verse 31, Luke 5. It says, and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. See, Jesus is saying, I've come to give my revelation to those that are willing to receive it. It's for every single person, but only those that are willing to receive it are going to receive it. Those that think they already have it all figured out, they're not going to have the capacity to receive what I'm trying to give them. This was the Pharisees' problem. They thought they knew it all. They thought they had it all. And what that is rooted in, it's rooted in pride. Pride keeps us from receiving revelation from God. When we fail to see our need for revelation from God or when we dictate to God how and what revelation we receive, we try to assume the position of God. And we limit our own ability to receive from him. Revelation is given to the hungry and the humble, not the complacent and the cocky. Revelation is given to the hungry and the humble, not the complacent and the cocky. And so we see the Pharisees, they were complacent, they were cocky, they thought they had it all figured out. And so they never saw God, even when he showed up in the flesh. And so we have to ask ourselves today, church, is our pride keeping us from receiving revelation from God? Is it possible that it is keeping us from receiving the truth that God wants us to know about him? The second thing that I think hinders our experience 
in revelation from God is that revelation requires a response. Revelation requires response. Look back at your Bible. Verse 27. So Jesus has given revelation. He's healed the sick. He's helped this man. He's forgiven his sin. In verse 27 it says, And after this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So, so Levi received revelation that this Jesus, this man, he is the Messiah. He's the God. He's revealed himself. And so he's received that. And he had to make a decision. Am I going to reject Jesus or am I going to receive Jesus? And we see here that he receives Jesus. And it says that he left everything. He responded. And I think most of us, we don't want to hear from God because it requires us to respond. This is what the Pharisees' problem was. The same section, they had received the same revelation of this man. It was right there in front of them. And what do the Pharisees do? No, they ask questions, they mock Jesus, and they reject him. They don't receive him. And here's why. Because to receive Jesus required a response. The cost was going to be high for the Pharisees. They would have had to give up their authority, their position, their career, their status in the community. And so they looked at that, and they looked at what if I receive Jesus or what if I reject Jesus. And we know the Pharisees, most of them, they rejected Jesus. And I think at the heart of their rejection was fear. And so pride is the first one. Fear is the second thing that keeps us from receiving revelation from God. And I think this is important because fear at our core is what keeps us even from turning to God. Because I know if there's a God out there that really is God and he speaks to me, I've got to respond to him some way. And so the fear that we have is what if that God speaks and I hear and I've got to respond. And what if, though, here's the real fear, he isn't a good God to begin with. Like what if he's not a good God or what if he's just not a good God to me? And I believe that fear perpetuates us to say, I'm just going to put my head in the sand. I don't want to hear from God. I don't want to receive revelation from God because it's going to come with a response, a responsibility. And I just don't want to hear it. And so I think fear keeps many of us from ever hearing from God, ever wanting to hear from God. Because what if, what if? This is the problem with the Pharisees. It's why Levi, though, he said, I receive. He came into the kingdom. And so I just want to ask you today, as we wrap up here, what do you really believe about who God is? What kind of box do you have him in? Do, do you really believe that he's a good God? We sang these songs, and you probably sang the songs as well, unless you were just saying watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. Like, do you believe what we sing? Do you believe what the word says, that he is a good, good father? Because if you don't believe that, you're going to tend not to go to him to ask for revelation. And when he comes to you to speak to you in whatever way that is, whether that's in the scriptures or whether that's through somebody else, whether it's through the spirit, through prayer, whatever that is, we're going to be apt to not receive it and reject it because we're fearful of what it's going to cost. So as we finish up today, we just need to wrestle with this question, what do I believe about God? Do I believe he's good or not? Because I do believe that God is interested in revealing himself to you, and I believe he is right now, right now. Are we willing to receive? Will we allow our awe and wonder of God to grow so that our worship of God can also grow? I want to close today and allow us to just sit silently and meditate upon this truth in Scripture, these truths in Scripture, and I pray that it would instill some wonder and it would be fresh 
revelation to you, even though you've probably heard these verses before. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, God died for us. 1 Chronicles 16, 34, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Romans 8, 28, we know that all those who love God, all those things work together for our good. Romans 10, 9, 13, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you that you are the ultimate revelation giver. I thank you that you sent Jesus to be the exact imprint and revelation of you, Father. I thank you that you're not a distant God, but you're a God who is still engaged with us, that you long to speak to us in many ways. So, Lord, I ask as a congregation we would grow in awareness of you, that our awe and wonder of you would be fresh this week, that we would be like children as we come to you in faith, that it would overflow in our worship each and every day as we serve you, as we serve the people around us. In your name, amen.